Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. On last week's episode of The Healthcare Happy Hour, we discussed NAHU's letter to federal agencies regarding concerns about the implementations of the surprise billing provisions of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. This week, Marcy is back to talk about another comment letter we submitted last week, this one concerning the hot-button issue of broker compensation disclosure. Before we get into the broker compensation disclosure letter, we have an update on surprise billing. Thanks, Dan. So the big update is that the agencies have released an interim final rule to the Office of Management and Budget. So they released an interim final rule to OMB, which we usually reference as the last stop before interim final rule or proposed rule or final rule is released to the public. So it's the last stop on its intergovernmental journey to be released where the Office of Management and Budget is going through and making sure that the agencies agree on things since this was an interim final rule that was worked on by more than one agency. And then they usually release it either within a few days, sometimes a few weeks, but it is a sign that the departments have concluded their work at some level, and that we could be seeing that interim final rule in time, possibly for the July 1 statutory deadline for some type of rulemaking on surprise billing. Thank you for that update. Now, in terms of broker compensation, this is something that obviously matters a great deal to our members. Can you talk a bit about the provisions of the Consolidated Appropriations Act, or CAA, that deal with broker compensation? Yes. So the section of the CAA that addresses broker transparency or broker disclosure requires agents and brokers or consultants to disclose any direct or indirect compensation that they are earning at the time when they are contracting or going through enrollment or re-enrollment with a client. That is the very basics. As you can imagine, just giving that summary in a nutshell brings forth a lot of questions and the section in the statute is a few pages. So it's, it is a bit more in depth than what I just relayed in that summary, but Dan is going to get to some of those questions that rise when we talk about just that summary of disclosing direct and indirect compensation. From the offset it would appear that this law is quite burdensome to the broker community. So what is NAHU doing to ensure that this law is implemented in a way that is least burdensome? Well, we were able from the onset to have an additional provision put into the statute. So initially, when this was being discussed by the Senate Health Committee, we met with them and their staff several times to discuss this. Our discussions really 
centered around the fact that so much is already disclosed for on the group side in your form 5500s. And then additionally, in the individual and small groups, commission is so low and also it varies so little between carriers that it's almost initially the same. So the need to disclose in those markets seemed just a little excessive. However, the staffers and senators in the Senate Health Committee didn't agree with us there, but we were able to add in one provision that will make it less burdensome. And that was recognizing that agents and brokers don't always earn straightforward commission that sometimes at the time of contract with a client, you're not able to easily disclose what you are anticipating earning off of that contract or working with that client. So that was one way we were able to make it less burdensome from what was included in the statute. In our letter to the agencies, and I will note this is kind of a proactive letter, we have heard from the Department of Labor and HHS that they will be releasing some type of guidance. We don't know if it will be in the form of a proposed rule or if it will be just agency guidance or some type of notice, but they are working on something. And so we have asked in our letter while they're putting these things together, asked if they can try to make this as easy as possible for implementation on agents and brokers. And so when we say that, we're asking for things like recognizing many of the things you all are already doing when it comes to broker disclosure. And we have offered to provide them with examples of what is already a standard business practice for many of you, and then ask them also to provide templates or models so that it's very easy to select the model that corresponds with your market and be able to be in compliance. We've also asked for in areas where it's appropriate for the burden of disclosure to be put on the carrier. So once again, it would be much easier on the agent or broker. So these are just a few ways where we're trying to ask for some simple pieces to be put into place so that you all aren't having to recreate your business model or structure in order to be in compliance with whatever rules or guidance were given from the agencies. So in our letter, we asked agencies for clarification in several areas, as you mentioned including the timing of compensation disclosures and advanced disclosures. Can you go into detail about that? Sure. And a lot of this goes on the group side, but it does overlap a bit with your individual clients and the way that you meet with them. One reason why we're asking about timing is because of the timing of implementation for this law, which is for any contracts entered into or renewed after December 27th of 2021, so the end of this year. The question around that with timing is for contracts that are for a January 1 start date, but may be entered into at the end of December while you're meeting with your clients, where where is the trigger? Is it the start date of the plan or is it the contract date? So we would like clarification on that. But the second aspect of getting clarification on timing of how everything goes together just goes into the general aspect of compliance with this. So in the timeline, looking at how you all meet with your clients to go through, especially if it's a client that isn't simply renewing a plan that they're already in, if they want to see all of their options, 
you're meeting with a new client, will you have to, when you provide all of the options from different carriers or even different plans within a carrier, will you have to provide your compensation disclosure for each of those while you're going through those options with your client? That's a question that we have. Is that the time at which that needs to be disclosed? Or can you wait until a decision has been made by the consumer and disclose at that time once they decide what plan is best for them? Is that the time when you need to disclose? NAHU's virtual 2021 annual convention will be held June 27th to 29th, and it promises to be the most innovative, productive, and fun meeting that you have ever attended. If you have not registered for convention yet, then why not? The clock is ticking. We have extended our early bird special to Thursday, June 17th. So please, if you have not signed up already, please go to NAHU.org and sign up for convention now. Also, there are some provisions within the statute that say that if your compensation changes, you need to make the client aware within 60 days or within 30 days of realizing that you know that your compensation has changed. And there are different aspects that could trigger a change in your compensation. And some of them that we noted are things like if a member of the group has a child or has a life change and come on or come off of a group plan and it affects your compensation, is that something that needs to be updated every time it happens? And to try to get around that piece, one of our suggestions is to offer just the structure of your compensation as the disclosure instead of a a hard and fast amount so that if your structure is based on the lives in a group, either a percentage or dollar per person, as people go on and off the group for different reasons, or if there are any other changes that you wouldn't have to give an update every time something happens with the group, because that structure of your compensation would be provided. So that's another piece of clarification that we're asking for when it comes to timelines and when and how you would have to update, as well as when you provide that initial disclosure. We also requested, as you mentioned earlier, clarification regarding arrangements that are a bit more complicated than perhaps the law anticipated in terms of indirect compensation. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Well, one of the questions is what exactly is considered indirect compensation? And I know that makes us sound a bit cheeky, but we're not trying to be difficult when asking that question. It's a valid question of what exactly indirect compensation means in terms of this statute. It's not very clear. And when we also consider that your compensation is not always based on one direct interaction with a client, can be be based on several different factors, that's something that needs to be addressed and isn't very straightforward in the statute. So Getting definitions on exactly what they're determining as indirect and direct compensation is part of that. Or even something as simple as your office gets a a box of steaks or a box of goodies from a carrier because of the business that you've done for them. Do you need to allot that to different clients? Do you need to disclose that? And I know that may sound a bit silly and that's not the examples that we gave in the letter, but it is something that came up with the agents and brokers that we were discussing with us with 
just about how much needs to be disclosed. It does have to be a contract where you're earning over $1,000 in commission. But then on top of that, where are the lines drawn with different benefits that you all may receive because of the business that you're doing? And what about agents and brokers who receive commission statements from insurance companies or third-party administrators detailing their compensation? This is just another area where we're asking for more information, Dan. It's not clear with, especially with the TPAs or different contracts or contractors that agents and brokers work with, whether that disclosure needs to come from the TPA or if it's something that the agent is disclosing. And if so, how much of that interaction they need to disclose to the client. These are all questions that we have that are not addressed in the statute. And we feel like we need to have more information on because of course, when we get down to it, we want to make sure that we're in compliance and not having members of NEHU exposing themselves to risk. Another concern of ours is how employers or planned fiduciaries may react to this law. What did we tell the agencies in this regard? Our inquiry on this aspect is really because many of the agents and brokers that we were talking with that are concerned about compliance with this have talked to some of their employer clients and their employer clients who are the fiduciaries with this have heard nothing about this upcoming rule that will be in place for many who have contract renewals in 2022. And the onus to report that disclosure has not taken place is on the employer or on the fiduciary. So if they don't understand or know that they should be receiving this disclosure, or if they do know that they should be receiving it, but don't know what to do if they don't receive it, then that creates a hole in this whole system. So our questions there were about how and whether HHS or the Department of Labor, here more likely the Department of Labor, would be educating employers about this and what their role is in receiving that disclosure, recognizing it, or recognizing that they didn't receive the disclosure and what the process is to report to the Department of Labor. For some folks that we talked to about this, they were also worried that they could be in compliance with the rule and provide a disclosure to an employer, yet have a competitor come along and talk to the employer and allege that the original agent wasn't in compliance with this, and the employer may not recognize that 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 first agent actually was just because of the lack of information about this. So it's also just about making sure everyone is playing by the same rules and playing above board and that everyone recognizes what their role is in disclosing compensation and recognizing when that disclosure has been received. Finally, what did we request from the administration regarding the law's applicability to the individual market? Well, Dan, the section of this statute that addresses the individual market is much shorter than that that addresses the group market. And on the individual side, the statute is written, some may say pretty straightforward, that puts the responsibility onto the carrier or the issuer to provide the disclosure on what is being provided in compensation to the agent or broker. 
what we have been asking and, and, and this comes from some conversations we've had with HHS where they've asked what our concerns are about the implementation of this statute on the individual market is that there may be some issuers or carriers that don't read the statute as straightforward and may feel as though this should be something that the agent or broker does or that they may not be in compliance, in which case an agent may feel like they should in good faith disclose this. So a lot of our questions for the individual market are asking exactly how this is going to work, what the requirements on the issuer will be, and then what, if any, additional steps the agent needs to take in the individual market, even if it's not having to produce another type of disclosure document, even if it's making sure that they mention it in the line items when they're going through the different pieces of the premium statement on an individual plan with the consumer. Is that going to be part of the compliance standards on in the individual market? So those are some of the types of questions that we've brought up to make sure that once again, everyone's complying in good faith. So what is the timeline for rulemaking in this area? When can we expect the administration to take the next steps? That is one of the top of the line questions for us, Dan, and something that we've not been able to get an answer from HHS or the Department of Labor on. It's also something that we've emphasized in our letter that time is of the essence. If they expect compliance with that December 27th, 2021 date for compliance with all contracts entered to or enrollments entered into after that date, then we need to have rules coming out in the immediate future, especially when we think about the timing for plan designs being approved by the state insurance commissioners, as well as the federal government, especially on the individual side, since the commission there is, as we say, baked in, it's included in the premiums that they submit. So if there are going to be further disclosure requirements on the issuers, they probably want to know them when they're providing that disclosure, since not all of them take it out as a line item when they submit it to the state insurance commissioners. So if we don't have any guidance by the fall, and again, there are some that read the statute and say that there are not clear directives for rulemaking. So there could be a scenario where we don't have anything going into 2022. But I think with that, there will be very little compliance because there are so many questions about the how. We got kind of the what you need to do, but we didn't get the how from the statute. So knowing that we, as I said at the top of the podcast, have the interim final rule on surprise billing at OMB now, that last stop before it's usually released to the public. That means that there there is some space kind of cleared off the desks for those folks at HHS and the Department of Labor to take this on. But we also know that there are a lot of other issues that they are working with right now. And we also know that we're sitting in anticipation of a Supreme Court ruling on the Texas v. U.S. case, which could lead to further rulemaking to address any opinions that we get from the Supreme Court. So we know that there's competing priorities with the agencies, regardless of how high this is 
on our priority list, but we're hoping that we would get something by this fall. If not, we have suggested to them to put in place some type of safe harbor so that if we don't have additional guidance for the beginning of 2022, that there is a safe harbor that says as long as agents or brokers or consultants have tried in good faith to be in compliance with the statute, that it will count kind of until we get any further guidance on all of these questions that we have. It is now time for the NHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting to representatives Courtney, Thompson, Delbene, and Estes for introducing the House Observation Status Bill. This bill addresses the issue of patients in Medicare that are coded as observation status and not inpatient status, and therefore do not get full coverage through Medicare when receiving care following that stay when they then go to a skilled nursing facility. This bill would allow observation status to count as inpatient status and kind of close that loophole. We are anticipating a Senate companion bill being introduced next week, and we'll talk more in depth about the bills then. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.